1: Taron Pritchett.
5: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the upcoming NCAA men's basketball tournament. Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Also, we are available. Get out your phone. You can check us out on the WSBT radio app, also at wsbtradio.com. And a video feed of the program right now on the Twitch app. My name is Darren Pritchett. Thank you so much for joining me on this Thursday, March the 2nd of 2000. And 23. We are back to two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat for tonight. Notre Dame basketball shortened our program by 30 minutes last night, and you know what? It was worth it. A fun night at Purcell Pavilion as Mike Bray won his final home game at Purcell Pavilion, as well as that big group of players playing their final home game at Purcell Pavilion, and they beat a ranked Pittsburgh team, kind of put a wrench into their hopes of winning an ACC outright title. Notre Dame got it done last night, winning by seven. We will relive that game in a couple of moments, including Mike's very fun post-game interview on the Notre Dame Radio Network, heard on WSBT Radio with Tony Simeone. Also coming up on the program this evening, more of a Mike Bray theme to today's Twitter question of the day. Also later on this hour, I talked to Blue and Gold's Tyler Horca about this yesterday, and I want to bring in the audio from Mark Packer from the ACC Network, their analyst of many things. He had a very awkward moment on the ACC Network when it was announced that Notre Dame's Neil Ivy was named. ACC Women's Basketball Coach of the Year. He had some strong opinions, and he has every right to his opinion, but in my opinion, and I'll talk more about this in a bit, sometimes you have to let the announcement of an award winner breathe before you jump in and disagree with the process, a process that he didn't even know who voted on the coach of the year. It led to one of those moments you're watching or you're listening and you cringe. And it's like, you just want to hit pause for that person so they can get out of this mess they're walking into. Well, that was the case and Packer didn't let up. It was a two minute soundbite with another individual and he did not let up on the fact he didn't think Ivy should have won it. He felt like it should have been Carol Lawson. From Duke. So we'll play back that audio. And now Packers had a chance to think about and re listen to what he said. And now he is starting to realize he made a mistake. And we will talk about all that coming up in a little bit. Plus, the Irish women's basketball team now knows their ACC tournament quarterfinal opponent. It's NC State, but they will not be at full strength against the Irish. And who knows if the Irish are going to be close to full strength. We'll discuss that coming up later on this hour here on WSBT Radio. We are now fully in March Madness, so we might as well keep you updated on some of the games that are happening today, conference tournaments are underway on the men's and the women's side. Most of the women's tournaments are this week. There are a few men's tournaments taking place, including the always highly competitive and dramatic Arch Madness down in St. Louis, home of the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. We've got a handful of Hoosier State teams in the Missouri Valley right now. Valparaiso, Indiana State, Evansville, all three teams are taking the court in St. Louis today, so we'll get you caught up on what's happening with some of our teams from the state of Indiana taking part in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament down in St. Louis. Also coming up on the program at 6.30, I'll be joined live by the head coach of the Mishawaka boys' basketball team, Bodie Bender. The cavemen took down Plymouth in a sectional first-round game on Tuesday over in LaPorte, 61-35. to The Caymen are 18-6, and they will take on the South Bend-Riley Wildcats in Game 2 of the sectional semifinal doubleheader over in LaPorte tomorrow night. And South Bend-Riley has dominated Mishawaka through the years up until December 9th. When Mishawaka ended a long drought, I believe the drought was 17 or 18 years without beating Riley. Mishawaka beat the Wildcats December 9th at the Cave, 62-57. Can they do it again tomorrow night? They're going to try to, that's for sure. And if Mishawaka gets to the sectional championship game, if they beat Riley, it'll be Mishawaka's first sectional championship game appearance since 2004. And they have not won a sectional title since 1986. So this Mishawaka team trying to break through and end some of these long droughts that have haunted the basketball program. So Coach Bender will join us in about an hour and 15 minutes at 630 here on WSBT Radio. And also we will have a little sizzler, three, make that two Big Ten games Will be a part of our picks for tonight's Sizzler segment, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960, WSBT. But away we go with our hat trick of opening topics here on WSBT Radio. We start the program each night by bringing you three topics. And tonight we've got two college basketball Segments to talk about, and also a quick little thought on Major League Baseball. Something kind of interesting is starting to develop, so we'll get to that here in just a moment. But first, Purcell Pavilion was the place to be until the Irish game ended, then it was the linebacker. Mike Bray is final home game as coach of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, as well as that big class of players playing. Their final games on the campus of the University of Notre Dame. Nate Lashevsky, Marcus Hammond, Trey Wirtz, Cormac Ryan, Dane Goodwin, Robbie Carmody. Big group, no question about that. The Irish did not have the services of J.J. Starling down with an injury, so they went with the old guys, Lashevsky, Hammond, Wirtz, Ryan, and Goodwin, and Notre Dame, who has been so inconsistent on offense. They brought their shooting eye against the leaders of the ACC. Number 25, Pittsburgh, as the Irish would shoot 49.1% from the field, 10 of 27 from the three-point line for 37%, and they got to the free-throw line 31 times, making 26. And Notre Dame won the ball a game over Pitt, 88-81. to The offensive surge... Was sparked by the transfer from Niagara, Marcus Hammond, and also Cormac Ryan. Each player scored 20 points. They went a combined 14 of 28 from the field, 6 of 15 from the three point line. Three other players scored in double figures for Notre Dame Nate Lashevsky, who has been on a scoring surge. He netted 14 points last night with eight rebounds. Trey Wirtz stuffed the stat sheet last night. 14 points, including 8 of 8 from the free throw line, 7 rebounds, 5 assists. And Dane Goodwin finished his Purcell Pavilion career with 12 points. With the win, the Irish are 11-19. and 19. They pick up their third ACC victory. They're now 3-16. and 16. Pittsburgh, a frustrating loss for them trying to win a conference championship. That dropped them to 21-9 and on the season, and they are now 14-5 and in the ACC. And we now have a three-way tie for first place in the ACC with one game to go. Pittsburgh, Miami, and Virginia with Clemson and Duke at 13-6, and and the Irish will visit Clemson coming up on Saturday. For the Irish, they have clinched that they will not be the last seed in the ACC tournament. They will be the number 14 seed in the ACC tournament. Louisville will be number 15. The Irish won their head-to-head matchup with Louisville, so they will win that particular tiebreaker. But back to the story at hand, the final home game for Mike Bray after 23 years at the helm of this Irish basketball program, departing the program at the end of the season, which now is very, very close. He is assured of two more games at Clemson on Saturday and an ACC tournament first round game down in Greensboro next week. Irish built a big lead, held on a little bit in the end, beating Pittsburgh 88 to 81 after the game. Mike Bray on the Notre Dame Radio Network, heard right here on WSBT Radio. The questions from the voice of the Irish, Tony Simeone. A lot to talk about in this finale for Mike. And just to set this up, if you missed it, when he met with the local media before this final home game, Coach Bray mentioned he had never been to the linebacker in 23 years, but he was going after the game and he was going to close the baby down because there was going to be no curfew after the game last night. So that's a little setup for the conversation between Tony Simeone and Fighting Irish head coach Mike Bray. But a win to end his career at home and exactly what
4: he and the seniors deserved in the final home game here in South Bend. Mike Bray soaking it up. He comes out here now as he always does uh, to sit here with us and we'll get a chance to talk to mike bray the head coach one more time here at home yeah. coach that's one i'm gonna assume you're gonna remember for a long time a unique win how did it feel to win your final home game here
6: can i i need to get an order in at the linebacker uh, go for it can i swan again can you give me can you get over <laughs> there and get me a cocktail all right i mean uh what a, what a, I, I can't thank our crowd enough what an unbelievable night and uh very proud of our guys uh, they're really good Pitt's really good and you know, we defended pretty much for the whole game. I thought we were good offensively and it was neat to feel this atmosphere in here one last time. Our crowd was great. Our students were great. Appreciate them. And you know what I you know I, I appreciate our crowd hanging in there with us, you know, this year. They they've been here for us and I told our guys, I said, that felt a little bit like Michigan
4: State. Mm-hmm. I said, maybe, maybe we can feel that again on Saturday night. You mentioned the crowd. They were great, I thought, tonight, the students. But what did it mean to see all those players that came out for you, uh, too, the former those players? Guys, those
6: guys up there are unbelievable. I mean, look, I'm looking up there. I remember, I rem- you know, I told the assistant the other day, you remember when every one of those guys called you to commit yeah. and where you were because those are big phone calls because we usually get told no a lot. <laughs> you know, so when somebody tells you, yes, and curves and heron Martin and falls, and, and I see them all up there. They, they came by Troy's here. I think Troy's here. And, uh, um, uh, and, and, and these old guys that just left the building will join them and it will be 75 of them that have come through, uh, with me here. Yeah. And, and they're all sons. They're like, like sons and, uh,
4: um, so it, it, it was neat, and it was neat for our seniors to finish like that. I, I want to ask you about this building in particular. You've had a ton of great memories. We saw a lot of them on the board tonight. Just Tonight yeah. gets added to it, but when you think about this building, yeah. you're not going to coach here again. What comes to mind when you think of this place?
6: Yeah, um, well, our, our, our student section, you know, we won 45 in a row one time in here. Some mm-hmm. of those guys were part <laughs> of this thing. 45 games in a row through the Big East, I think. You know, I think back to here and it's it always has been a pretty good home court for us. Um, Our students have been fabulous. Our season ticket holders have been loyal soldiers for us through up, down, left, right. But we've been, you know, overall, we've been pretty good here. And, and, um, you know, there's great memories of games in here. I don't know how many people have brought up the Louisville five overtime game, (laughs) which was, you know, a classic one. But there's. There's many of them here, and a lot of great memories. And actually, running practice yesterday here, last practice, and last game, it was, you know, it was it was sentimental to be here, and, and uh, very cool. And I'm I'm thrilled that we have this memory as my last
4: game last one i have for you is when everybody goes to the backers just under your last name is your tab is just say it's, it's on mike bray and we just get an order or what's how's it work
6: i think we put it on david graves there's a guy <laughs> by this guy david graves you know and matt carroll those two guys because okay. the, all they did was shoot it they never guarded anybody i let them shoot all the time they owe you so, one. yeah they can pick up the tab okay matter of fact there's a lot of guys standing up there that got shots there's a lot of guys up there that got shots and uh, said my bad coach that last defensive possession i love them all We'll see everybody later. All right, here we go. Hey, I I said to Pete, we may have lost games at times. Mm -hmm. We never lose a party. (laughs) I'll see you at the backer, all right?
5: (laughs) Oh, I think we all knew that was going to be pretty entertaining, and Mike did not disappoint last night. And my colleague from Blue and Gold Illustrated, Tyler Horka, was at the linebacker and had some great pictures from – The activity, there was a moment Jack Swerbrick and Mike Bray were speaking at the linebacker. It was packed, apparently, and the parking lot was full before the game had concluded. Mike, great job. So glad you got the victory in your final home game. I don't like to say anyone deserves it because you get what you deserve. You earn it, but this is a moment. Mike deserved a victory. Like he mentioned, I'd kind of forgotten they had one 45 in a row at one point back in the old Big East days. Two Elite Eight runs that were magical. The ACC championship in 2015. Heck, at one point, it was just becoming competitive in the Big East. That was a big deal. When Notre Dame was battling to get, well, wasn't it a double buy back in the day in the Big East tournament? That was a huge, huge deal. For the Irish, it was either a buy or a double buy. I can't remember. I think the Big East would have been big enough to have a double buy back then. But that was a great accomplishment. That's how low the standard was for Notre Dame basketball before Mike arrived. He got things rolling. Of course, when you inherit Troy Murphy, that gets you off to a pretty doggone good start. And the rest is history. Great run by Coach Bray. And he will come up once again in our Twitter question of the day. Here in a couple of moments on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. The hat trick topic number two for tonight. <laughs> the mess in the Big Ten. It just continues to get more murky. One thing is for sure, the Purdue Boilermakers will stay on top. They will be the number one seed for the Big Ten tournament in Chicago next week. The Boilers are 13-5 and five in the Big Ten. They'll look to get back on track when they take on Wisconsin on the road tonight. But look what happened last night. The old bottom of the Big Ten flexed its muscles and caused even more chaos behind Purdue in the Big Ten standings. The Ohio State Buckeyes, who have had a horrific season for their standards, they entered this weekend, or I should say last weekend, 3-14 in the Big Ten. They clobbered Illinois at Value City Arena over the weekend, and last night they took down Red Hot Maryland 73-62. to That dropped Maryland to 11-8. Then you had Penn State move to 9-10 in the conference. They collected a very nice overtime road win over Northwestern. the Wildcats are 11-8. So those upsets have created this. Again, Purdue at 13-5. Michigan just kind of sitting there very quietly in second place. Where in the world did Michigan come from? They've won three in a row, and the Maize and Blue are 11-7. Then you have these teams at 11-8, the Iowa Hawkeyes. The Maryland Terrapins, the Northwestern Wildcats, the Indiana Hoosiers. Then you've got three teams at 10-8, and Illinois, Michigan State, Rutgers. So how crazy could it get tonight? Well, there is a chance we could see something that I have never seen before. Again, Purdue's at 13-5. and five. They're laughing at all this. You could have a seven-way tie for second place if things go perfectly tonight. So you've got Michigan visiting Illinois. If Illinois wins, and if Rutgers wins at Minnesota, which they should, the following teams will be tied for second with a record of 11-8. and eight. Michigan, Iowa, Maryland, Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois, and Rutgers. We would have a seven-way tie for second place. What? Michigan State. They've got a matchup with Ohio State coming up. And I believe they have to make up the game against Minnesota as well. So there's a very good chance that Michigan State could join that mess. Can you imagine that? A seven-way tie for second place with one game to go in the Big Ten season. And you got to figure out all the tiebreakers for the seeding. Now, some of these teams will play each other in the final game. But I've read from some of the Indiana Beat reporters that Indiana does not do well in most tiebreakers with what's going on right now. So they could actually be farther down the seeding line than you would expect based on the way that Indiana has played the last few weeks. Now, I know they played a horrible game against Iowa earlier this week down in Bloomington. But, hey, Indy turned around their season from where they were at the start of the Big Ten season. All right, so looking ahead of the weekend really quick in the Big Ten, Ohio State will play Michigan State on Saturday. If Michigan State wins, it's an eight-way tie for second place. <laughs> Unreal. Then on Sunday, Illinois at Purdue, Maryland at Penn State, Nebraska visiting Iowa. You could have the potential of two teams tied for second, Michigan and Indiana playing in Bloomington. Again, Northwestern and Rutgers, two teams that could be at 11 and 8 meeting in Piscataway. And then Wisconsin would be at Minnesota. So I don't know. Is that Michigan State Minnesota game not going to be made up? I don't see it on the schedule anywhere. It might be just not played. That could be important, though, to Michigan State because that's a gimme victory, which would help them. But I don't see it right now in the Big Ten schedule. So there you go. If you want chaos, then root for Illinois to beat Michigan and Rutgers to knock off Minnesota. If that happens, we've got a seven-way tie for second place in the Big Ten with one game to go for all of those teams. And our third and final hat trick of opening topics, I want to sneak in a Major League Baseball thought. I'm a traditionalist. I'm very hesitant for change in Major League Baseball. I have been anti-National League designated hitters since I was one day old. But before the DH came to the National League, I changed my tune because so many people wanted more offense, more excitement of the game, and the DH can bring both of those things. I gave in, and I've been totally fine with the DH. In particular... As a St. Louis Cardinals fan, we got to see Albert Pujols back in St. Louis last year. Would not have happened without the DH. And, of course, the storybook ending with a big second half and hitting over 700 home runs. So that turned out to be smart to change my mind before Albert got to St. Louis. But I've been that way for a couple of years. But the pizza boxes on the bases now, they've made the bases bigger. Not overly excited about that. But here's something that I think is a major positive for Major League Baseball. They are trying like crazy to bring younger people to the game, getting them to watch the game. But the game is slowly paced compared to hockey, basketball, football, that it's hard to keep people's attention, even older people. For three hours, three and a half hours, or in the case of the Red Sox and the Yankees, they play each game at about three months Four weeks, seven hours, and 20 minutes. But Major League Baseball has made some decisions that I think is going to help the game. You experienced some of those if you went to Four Winds Field for a South Bend Cub game last year as the minor leagues adapted some of these rules. Pace of play is right now a hot topic again in Major League Baseball, and it looks like the latest changes are working. Let me give you an example. A Cactus League game earlier this week featured the Kansas City Royals and the Cleveland Guardians. Let me combine the team totals of the two squads. The Royals and the Guardians combined for 18 runs, 25 hits, 10 walks, 17 strikeouts, and they played a full nine innings. If I would have given you that information the last couple of years, and if I would have asked you how long do you think the game would have gone, you probably would have said three and a half hours. But because there is now a pitch clock, that game that I just described for you is played in two hours and 50 minutes. When you have 10 walks and 17 strikeouts, imagine how long those at-bats can be. Those are long counts. Takes a while. But with the changes being put in place, that game, two hours and 50 minutes. Some of the details, there's a 30-second timer between hitters batters must be ready in the batter's box with eight seconds remaining on the pitch clock. If they are not ready, they have to be making eye contact with a pitcher. A strike is put on the board and that batter will start with a no-one count. Or if the count's one and one, that happens, it's one and two. Pitchers have 15 seconds to deliver the baseball with no one on base, 20 seconds when there are runners on base. Again, if they fail to do so, A ball goes on the board. Remember how hitters wander around the batter's box? If you're an older baseball fan, you might remember Mike Hargrove, the human rain delay of the Cleveland then-Indians. I mean, he had this routine between every pitch. Adjusting the batting gloves, doing this, doing that, adjusting the helmet, the jersey. He took forever. Can't do it anymore. You have to stay. In the vicinity, I mean right in the batter's box. I don't know if you can even leave the batter's box. I haven't seen it that specific, but you can't wander away. You have to be ready to go. You get one hitter timeout per at bat. You can only throw over two times against a base runner. The third time if you throw over, if you do not pick them off, it is a balk. That's another change. But basically, going back to the the pitching and hitters being ready to go, For pitchers, 15 seconds to deliver the baseball. Once they catch the baseball, 20 seconds when there is a runner on base. That has has picked the pace up of games, and that's why the Royals and Guardians, combining for 18 runs, 25 hits, 10 walks, 17 strikeouts, and a full nine-inning game was played in, amazingly, less than three hours, two hours, and 50 minutes. We have seen college baseball spring training games have some Weird situations develop. A college game ended when there was a batter violation. The game is over just like that. It's going to be a little different. I'm still not sure if I need to see the clock on the screen at all times when I'm watching a game. Is that going to get old? I don't know yet, but it does help us understand the new rules, at least in spring training. So if you're one that feels like baseball takes too long, I think some things have been done by Major League Baseball this year to make you a whole lot happier. It's going to cut down on a few beer sales at the ballpark, but games are going to be much more brisk. 5.35 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Our hot three topics, or hot three hat-trick topics for the start of the show. Mike Bray's last home game. Notre Dame wins, 88-81 over Pitt. The Big Ten mess atop the standings and pace of play in Major League Baseball spring training looks like is improving the game. We'll come back with our Twitter question of the day as Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat continues coming up in about 55 minutes. We'll talk Hoosier hysteria with Mishawaka basketball coach Bodie Bender. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish in the upcoming. NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Sports Radio 960 WSBT
1: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Beat Twitter Question of the Day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT
5: 541 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT My name is Darren Pritchett And we have our Twitter question of the day results to get to first from Wednesday's program. Each weekday I post a Twitter question of the day that you can vote on on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. In honor of Mike Bray's final home game last night as Notre Dame men's basketball coach, the Twitter question of the day for Wednesday was, of these four players, which was Mike Bray's Best basketball player at Notre Dame. Now, some people wanted a different choice. First off, I only get four choices on Twitter. It is tough to narrow it down. Jaron Grant was not on the list. He was the fifth guy on my short list that I started with. Someone had to be eliminated from that group of five, and it was him. So, the four I went with Troy Murphy, who had a dominant Notre Dame career at the start of the century. Mike Bray, of course, when he signed on with Notre Dame, got Troy Murphy or inherited him. Pretty good place to start. Then you had the scoring machine inside and Luke Herangode. A third choice, Ben Hansborough. Why did I pick Hansborough? He was Big East Player of the Year and All Big East in. 2011. Could you put Jaron Grant there? Yes, you could. Can't argue. And the fourth choice was Grant's teammate, Pat Connaughton. Some even wanted Grant over Connaughton. Again, I wish I could have had five choices. That would have been the five, but we can only go with four. The results coming in a distant fourth place. The 2011 Big East Player of the Year and consensus second-team All-American in 2011, Ben Hansborough. Ben only got 3.2% of the vote. Not a high-profile player, but very productive his last year at Notre Dame. Okay, now we move along to third place in the voting. Getting 19.1% of the vote was Luke Herringote. Well, Godie was a scoring machine for the Fighting Irish in his Notre Dame career. Three-time consensus, second-team All-American 2008 through 2010. He was the Big East Player of the Year in 2008. Luke Karen gody third in the voting at 19.1%. Second place in the voting, Troy Murphy. Murphy got 38.2% of the vote. Well, this guy was as dynamic as any player that Notre Dame has had since the Digger Phelps era. points per game, 9.8 rebounds. Shot 49% from the field, 33% from the three-point line. Three years at Notre Dame. Murphy was just so hard to defend, even in that great Big East at that time. He finished his Notre Dame career in three seasons with 2,011 points. But Troy Murphy did not win the vote. He was slightly edged out by Milwaukee Bucks guard and NBA champion, Pat Connaughton. Well, first off, Connaughton probably could have been a really good pitcher in Major League Baseball, but opted for the NBA. He felt like he was going to be an NBA player, and he was right. was picked in the fourth round by the Orioles in 2014, The Nets took Connaughton in the second round in 2015 before he was traded to Portland. But before that, a part of the 2015 ACC champions, big part of their Elite Eight run, and just was a great athlete, great great defender, could shoot the three balls so well. He was a joy to watch here at Notre Dame. He averaged only 10.5 points per game for his career his last two years, 2013-14 at 13.8%, but also picked up seven rebounds and three assists a ball game. And his last year, 14-15, 12.5 points per game, 7.4 rebounds. He shot 42.3% from the three-point line and started all 38 games for the fighting hours. So, in your view, the best basketball player to play for Mike Bray was Pat Connaughton. I don't know if Murphy playing 20 years ago hurt him in this vote. It's awfully hard from my standpoint, being here for Troy Murphy, not to vote for Troy Murphy, but hey, Connaughton's a great player. Heron Godey, Hansborough, Jaron Grant, we could put Chris Thomas on the list. You could go really. A lot of different directions, but winning the vote was Pat Connaughton at 39.5%. All right, let's get to today's Twitter question of the day. It was posted just a little bit ago on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Today's question, what characteristic or note will you remember most about fighting Irish basketball coach Mike Bray? a characteristic, a note, a memory. What's the one thing you're going to remember about Mike Bray? I'm giving you four choices. Here are the four choices. His nickname, the loosest coach in America. Choice number two, wearing the turtleneck for so many years. Choice number three, the back-to-back Elite Eight runs in the NCAA tournament. Or choice number four, winning the 2015 ACC Championship. Of those four things, what will you remember most about Irish basketball coach Mike Bray, the nickname the loosest coach in America, wearing the turtleneck, back-to-back Elite Eight runs, or winning the 2015 ACC Championship in Greensboro, where it will be held next week. You can vote right now, tonight, tomorrow, on my Twitter account at 960 sports beat coming up next Mark Packer said what about Neil Ivy and what is he saying now that storyline coming up in a couple of moments as Budweiser's weekday sports beat rolls on for this Thursday evening and oh by the way the Neil Ivy show is coming up at seven o'clock right here on your home of the Fighting Irish in the upcoming NCAA men's basketball tournament sports radio 960. W-S-B-T.
1: hey wings etc fans guess what it's Wings schooner madness time you heard him right wings etc fans from now through march 8th our award-winning jumbo and boneless wings are just 59 cents and domestic scooters are just 525 nine and only 59 cent wings and 525 domestic scooters now through march 8th only at wings etc the beer is cold the deals are hot Leading off on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder.
0: That is good.
1: Number nine. Nine times.
0: Nine times.
1: Nine times. A West league champion.
5: Adios. Walk off home run. Eloy Jimenez.
1: Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios. Goodbye. And maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett.
5: Welcome back to the program. 554 on this Thursday evening. We'll talk to Mishawaka Boys basketball coach Bodie Bender at 6:30. The cavemen and the South Bend Riley Wildcats squaring off. And a sectional semifinal over in Laporte tomorrow night, probably an 8:15 start. You can hear the Laporte sectional on our sister station, 96 the ton. The opener is at Dandy, Michigan City taking on LaPorte. Well, the Irish women's basketball team, despite key injuries, they figured out a way to win the ACC regular season title, and they are the number one seed in this week's ACC tournament. They now have an opponent for tomorrow. We'll tell you about that coming up in just a moment. But the Fighting Irish in the preseason were picked to finish in fourth place in the ACC. So based on that, I'm not going to say they overachieve. When you're fourth, that means you're really, really good. But they were just a little bit better than the three teams ahead of them. So picked fourth, won the ACC. Darren Mabry went down with an injury a few weeks ago. Olivia Miles suffered a knee injury in that last game at Louisville. The Irish figured out a way to win, to win the outright ACC championship. And we hope Miles can play very soon. No word on that. So, Neil Ivey was named the Coach of the Year in the ACC. The announcement was made on the ACC network. And Mark Packer, who has been a part of the ACC network, I think maybe since it started, they had a morning show for a while with Packer involved. And they were in Greensboro when the announcements were made on the ACC network, who picked up the awards in the regular season in the conference. Good way of doing things. Well, Mark and his co-host, and I apologize, I don't know her name. They did not show her name in a graphic on the screen from what I was watching. But while the two were sitting there in Greensboro, they made the announcement on ACC Coach of the Year. This is how it sounded. And Packer is the one that you're going to hear throughout showing his displeasure about who won ACC Coach of the Year. Let me don't say it that way. It wasn't about who won it. It was more about who should have won it in his particular opinion. Again, Mark Packer, as the announcement is made that Neil Ivey of Notre Dame is the ACC Women's Basketball Coach of the Year.
2: Uh, Loaded up. The winner is uh, Neil Ivey. Mia okay. Ivy. Congratulations okay. to Coach Ivy back at her alma mater. Explain that one to me. So I can, I can, I can. Help me on that one. Again, so, I'm not taking anything away from Coach Ivy. Not at number all. Number one seed. They're top ten all season long. Expected to be good. They were good. They suffered injuries. Still battled through it. They're the. They are the team right now with a one besides their name. I get all of that. I get all of that. So your qualm is? My qualm is, to me, who did the best job coaching this year? In my opinion, if I had a vote, I don't, is Carol Lawson from Duke. I mean, nobody had Duke on the radar before the season. So we thought Notre Dame was going to be good. We thought Louisville was going to be good. NC State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and the list goes on. The league's awesome. But Duke was in nobody's conversation as far as a factor in the race. And in my opinion... Unless there's some kind of bylaw that I'm not aware of, that whoever finishes first gets the deal. No knock on Coach Ivy, She's awesome. She's a class act and has a great program. But Carol Lawson should have been the coach of the year. In my opinion. Yeah. I think it's a no-brainer. No, I hear you. What Carol Lawson has done with Duke has been absolutely outstanding, especially when you go from back of the pack, midway from the pack to being at the, the forefront of, of the conference with a chance. They had the chance uh, this past weekend to
5: to lock up that number one seed. I get just that, but up.
2: before the season started, I don't know of anybody outside of the Duke locker room that said, hey, that's really cute you guys keep talking about NC State, Louisville, and Notre Dame, and Carolina, and Virginia Tech, and Florida State. But Duke's going to be the team. What well, are you going know, to Get out of here. You fall down a flight of stairs, you hit your head again, what happened? you are you talking about Duke? Carol Lawson should have been the coach of the year. I don't know who votes on it, but I can't. That that one, when I saw that today, I went, come on. No way. So there Not you have by. it. Neil Ivey is your ACC coach of the year. First one for Notre Dame since our Hall of Famer, Muffet McGraw. Uh, Muffet's gonna in in be mad at me. Say, I know Muffet's going to be mad at me saying that because she's got the pom-poms out. I, listen, the pom-poms mean nothing to me, right? I think coach, good Lawson, coach respects good coach, right? I get all that. Yeah. And, so and it. Neil Ivy is an awesome basketball coach, right? They could win the national title for all of it, but they do need to get Olivia Miles back. But Carol Lawson should have been the ACC coach of the year.
5: There you go. That was Mark Packer, the son of the late Billy Packer, the longtime college basketball analyst. And as you can tell, Mark was not upset in regard to Neil Ivey, Being a poor coach, he gives her credit throughout. He just believed that based on Duke being ranked 7th in the preseason standings and no one talking about Duke, people talked about Louisville, Notre Dame, NC State, on down the line, but Duke wasn't mentioned. And you know what? Let me say this. His argument is not awful, but here's the problem the announcement is made, and then immediately he goes right into why in the world did this happen? Rather than explaining why the coaches, by the way, he didn't know who voted for it, it was the coaches, why that Neil should have won the award. He immediately just went right into the rant about, well, Neil Ivey's great, but Carol Lawson did this, did that along the way. To me, you got to let the award breathe for a second. If you're producing this particular broadcast on the ACC network, and the producer is the one that sets the script for what the broadcasters are going to talk about, it should be made extremely clear to the broadcasters that we're going to announce the winner talk about Neil Ivy. we're going to have a video package showing Neil on the sideline, boom, 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 and talk about Neal Neil winning the award. If you do that, and then Packer comes back and says to his co-host, I personally think Carol Lawson should have won it, and here's why. I think the situation looks a whole lot different. Instead, by not letting the award breathe and not talking about Neil's accomplishments right off the bat. It's like he is attacking this from the get-go that it's not about Neil Ivey winning at that moment. It's all about that Carol Lawson got ripped off, that she got a raw deal. If you do it in the order I talked about, I think the impact of his words would not be the same. You can still be critical in what he said, but to not give a few moments to recognize the job that Niel did, that was wrong. That should have been the first thing done. And maybe the producers told him that, and he just went on his rant right away. Talk about nielle and what she accomplished and what she overcame with Mabry going down and all the transfers, working them in, then Miles going down in the Louisville game, still winning the championship. After you have that conversation, then you could say, "You know what? Neil did a great job. We just talked about it, but my vote would have been for Carol Lawson, and here's why. But instead it was like an attack. And I don't think he was attacking Neil at any point. He just never gave her any credit for winning the award. And that's why it was extremely awkward listening to his comments. And again, I think if he gives Neil credit first, then he goes and explains why Lawson should have won it. There would not have been the outrage, mainly from Irish fans, in regard to what he said about Neil. So it was awkward. I don't think he handled it very well. He's a veteran broadcaster, and I would expect more from him, to be quite honest. But that was rough to listen to. It's just, it's like you see there's going to be a crash and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's what it felt like. You could see the two cars coming at each other and, oh, my gosh, he just did not let up. But Packer yesterday decided to come out with a statement, and he put the statement out on Twitter. And this is what Packer wrote. Just returned from the University of Virginia. I see some folks are upset with my ACC Coach of the Year award comments. I'm my harshest critic. I rewatched the segment, and you are 100% right. I didn't handle it correctly. Irish head coach Neil Ivy has always been great with me in the show. I'll make it right in Greensboro. So I'm sure that conversation has probably happened. Between Packer and Neal, hard to listen to. I really appreciate the fact that Mark said, you know what, I screwed up. And he did. Give Neal credit. Then put forth the argument why Kara should have won it. And he has a fair argument. I mean, Duke was off the radar. They were picked seventh. They were tied for first going into the final game. Lost to Carolina. Finished second. Great accomplishment. Notre Dame was a ranked team at the start of the year, so he actually makes some strong points. I don't think I would have voted the way he voted, but I'm not saying he's wrong. There's some good points made. He just went about it the wrong way. All right, 6.04 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you on WSBT South Bend. The Irish women's basketball team will take on North Carolina State tomorrow in the ACC Tournament quarterfinals at 2 o'clock. They will take on NC State, who beat Syracuse today easily 83-58. to It is worth noting that North Carolina State, throughout the entire ACC tournament, will be without their best player. Second-team All-ACC guard Diamond Johnson. She has an ankle injury, will not play, averaging 12 points and four assists a ballgame. And she was a big reason why that NC State in Raleigh beat the Irish back on January 29th 69-65 in that ball game Johnson scored 20 of the 69 points for NC State but she will not play against the Irish tomorrow. In that game against NC State on January 29th, Maddie Westfeld, 19 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, Olivia Miles 13 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, Sonia Citron with 11 points and again We'll see if Olivia Miles is a part of the ACC tournament after suffering that knee injury over the weekend in the win over Louisville. Sports update is coming up in just a couple of moments, and in about 25 minutes, we'll talk high school basketball with Mishawaka head coach Bodie Bender. This is Bud Weiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT South Bend.
1: Budweiser's Weekday Sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wesley, off balance shot, no good. Atkinson, put back. It's good. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Notre Dame in double overtime. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
6: Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby. 618
5: on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960. WSBT Darren Pritchett back with you, Mishawaka basketball coach Bodie Bender will join me in about twelve minutes here on WSBT radio. Couple of updates for you. First off, as we've talked about, the Irish men's basketball team won their home finale last night, stunning ACC-leading Pittsburgh, eighty-eight to eighty-one. The Irish now three and sixteen of the ACC. More importantly. The players walking out the door won their finale at Purcell Pavilion. And Mike Bray, after 23 years as head coach of the Fighting Irish, his final home game was that seven point win over Pittsburgh. With the win, the Irish are going to be the 14 seed in the ACC tournament down in Greensboro. And that means, as a 14 seed, they would play Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. That means six thirty pregame here on Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT, and the fourteen seed in the first round lines up with the eleven seed. Right now, two teams it looks like will be battling for that spot because they're playing each other. Both Virginia Tech and Florida State are seven and twelve, and they will meet in the ACC regular season finale to decide probably who's going to be the eleven. Or the 12th. So there is a pretty good chance Notre Dame would take on Virginia Tech or Florida State in the first round of the ACC tournament down in Greensboro Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. If Notre Dame would win that matchup, they would move to day two of the ACC tournament. And the Fighting Irish would take on the sixth seed, which is right now North Carolina State. These teams we're talking about, Virginia Tech, Florida State, NC State, Notre Dame lost to all those teams during the regular season. So if Notre Dame gets to the second round, they would take on the sixth seed, which is right now NC State. That game would be Wednesday night at 9.30. The top of the ACC standings is, well, right now pretty tight with three teams tied for first, couple other teams, a game behind. So... Really hard to tell who's going to be the three seed. If Notre Dame goes on a magical run, they would line up against the three seed in the ACC Tournament's quarterfinals. But first things first, looks like Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, Notre Dame will take the floor in Greensboro against the 11 seed, which might be Virginia Tech or Florida State. Action this afternoon from the ACC Women's Basketball Tournament. The upset of the day, Wake Forest, the 12-seed, took down the 5-seed Florida State 65-54. to 54. Game 2, North Carolina State crushed Syracuse 83-58, and the Wolfpack did it without their star player, Diamond Johnson, second-team All-ACC performer, averages 13 points a ball game. She will not play in the ACC tournament due to injury, and that is big news because NC State, the eight seed, will take on the top-seeded Fighting Irish tomorrow at 2 o'clock in the quarterfinals down in Greensboro. You can hear that game on Live 99.9, pregame at one forty five, game time, 2 o'clock, give or take a few moments since there is a game before the Fighting Irish tomorrow. January 29th. NC State in Raleigh beat the Irish 69-65, but the person I just talked about, Diamond Johnson, who will not play against the Irish tomorrow, she had 20 points against Notre Dame in that Wolfpack victory. Maddie Westbell had 19 points, 13 rebounds, and 5 assists for the Irish, who dropped that game at North Carolina State on January the 29th. And the nightcap in the ACC Women's Basketball Tournament, Clemson and Carolina will play. Then it's B.C. and Miami. Right now for the major men's basketball conference tournaments, the most interesting right now is the Missouri Valley Arch Madness down in St. Louis. You've got a lot of quality teams battling for the automatic berth. Things got started today in the first round. Northern Iowa, the eighth seed, cruised by the nine seed Illinois State, 75 62. And it was Indiana State crushing Evansville 97 58. That Evansville team features an Elkhart Indiana native, played at Jimtown, 6 8 forward, Preston Phillips. I don't believe he played in today's game. So Evansville's season comes to a close at five and twenty-seven. Seven o'clock tonight, the ten seed Valpo at the seven seed. Or I should say versus the seven seed Murray State. All right, so that gets you caught up in some of the basketball action today 623 is our time Darren Pritchett with you on Budweiser's weekday sports beat and don't forget pet refuge's annual gallon auction will be held Saturday March the 11th from six to nine at the Hilton Garden Inn's Gillespie Center in South Bend this year's event is titled playing for keeps this casual auction will feature games raffles a wine pull, food a cash bar and lots of fun including a kitten cuddling tent admission is just $50 per person Come support the dogs and cats of Pet Refuge Saturday, March the 11th, for their largest fundraiser of the year. Purchase your tickets online at PetRefuge.com. Reservations must be in by tomorrow, March the 3rd. Well, Hoosier Hysteria will continue tomorrow night across the state of Indiana as boys basketball teams that are still alive will play in sectional semifinals including the Mishawaka Cavemen, who will take on South Bend Riley in the Laporte sectional semifinal, game number two, probably right around 8.15 tomorrow here at the game on 96.1 The Ton. The head coach of the Cavemen, Bodie Bender, will join me after this timeout. It is 6.24, and this is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed on your home of the Fighting Irish in the upcoming NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. If that song doesn't give you goosebumps, you're not alive. There's no way. No way possible. Every time I hear it, Goosebumps City. And we've got more Hoosier Hysteria coming up tomorrow night across the state. Northwood, Knox, Jimtown, Elkhart, and LaPorte. Brian Miller and Ron Heklinski will have the call of the two games at the LaPorte Sectional tomorrow night. I think their pregame's going to start right around 6 o'clock. Game number one at 6.30 Eastern time. Michigan City versus LaPorte. Then in the nightcap, it'll be Plymouth. <laughs> Plymouth. It will be Mishawaka taking on South Bend Riley. Yeah, I'm not worked up. And the other sectional semifinal. And a note. I love notes. As sports fans, we love notes. Mishawaka will try to go to a sectional championship game for the first time since 2004 if they beat Riley tomorrow night. A Riley team they beat for the first time in like 18 years earlier this year at the Cave, 62-57. to 57. Enough of me talking. Let's hear from the first-year head coach of the Mishawaka Caveman, Bodie Bender. Most wins ever by a first-year Mishawaka basketball coach. He's got the Caveman at 18 and six and they beat Plymouth on Tuesday 61 to 35 coach good evening how are you I'm doing well how are you Uh, apparently not too good since I can't get the teams right who's playing tomorrow (laughs) night well I'm going to ask the most important question first we'll get it out of the way are you ready I'm ready all right at Jimtown high school who was the better shooter Bodie Bender or Keith Kinder
3: by far, it was Keith Kinder. I mean, I I don't I, I can count on one hand how many actual three pointers I took in my career. It was two. Um, Keith probably <laughs> shot 150. Uh, Keith probably shot you know in the low 30s from three. So he's a he was a pretty darn good shooter. Could handle the ball a little bit. Um, he was a little bit uh, you know slight of foot, and he couldn't defend anybody. <laughs>
5: Hey, it's like Mishawaka football. They put up forty some points, man. He's all offense, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> was uh, fairly skilled on the offensive end. Couldn't guard anybody, but you know, uh, <laughs> he'll be he'll be the first to tell you he found his way into a sectional final his senior year. So
5: how about that? How yeah. about that? Very, yeah. very cool. Well, when we get football season, we'll have him confirm this story.
3: Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. It, Actually, the story might get better, you know, uh, when, when football when football season comes around. It'll
5: probably be a better story <laughs> from out of his mouth. So. I'm sure. I'm sure. We'll find out. That's for sure. Well, Coach, 18-6 and 6 for the caveman. You took over this program from Ron Heklinski. I, I think there were some pretty good expectations in the walls of the Cave this year going into this season. As you sit here at eighteen and six getting ready for a sectional semifinal, has this season even maybe gone beyond what you thought was possible with this group?
3: Um, you know, I, I to be honest, I don't know that I've had a lot of time to really think about that. Um I, I'm I'm just such a, you know, who do we play next? What do we have to yep. do to be successful? Um you know, and I'm still in that mode, obviously, with, uh, you know, going into the game tomorrow night, and I think our kids are in the uh, same mode that I am in, but uh, I think that's more of a question when I have some more downtime, when the season's over, to really think about it, um, but I will say, it with everything that we've had going on with injuries and sicknesses and, and kids fighting through that adversity, um, you know, it has been a fun year.
5: I'll call you and ask you again in a couple of weeks, okay? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds okay, good. Tuesday night, Plymouth was the opponent, and the Cayman really blitzed them in the third quarter. Ended up winning sixty-one to thirty-five. And one thing that stood out for me from this ball game is the way your senior guard Arthur Jones started the ball game. He got your guys, your team off to a really good start, scoring nine of the first 11 points. And you know what? He only ended up with 13 in the game. But I think that's misleading because, Bodie, I talked to Mark Johnson about this last night. I really felt like he controlled the game as the point guard. It was like the conductor taking care of the orchestra. I really felt like he had control of the pace of the game. Your thoughts on the way your point guard played?
3: Yeah, I think for the most part this year when he's had the ability to do that in a game and kind of dominate it from the point guard spot and really control the basketball game, we've been very successful. And I'm not just talking about scoring the basketball. He's done a great job of finding open guys and and really making it easy of of putting them in easy positions to score. Um, And when he's doing that, I think we are very tough to stop on the offensive end.
5: I really like the stats from that game in which two guys that handled the ball a lot, Jones and Rashawn Johnson, did not have a turnover against Plymouth.
3: Oh, man, that's the first I've heard of that. That's, uh, that's a refreshing stat. So I'm glad you gave me that. I, I would also say I don't know that we turned it over more than ten times on Tuesday night either.
5: Hmm. What did you take away from your defense against Plymouth? I know you had some keys in the ball game going into it, and it felt like you guys did a pretty good job against those keys.
3: Yeah, I thought the kids did a really good job Monday night of locking in. And and as we started going through sets and actions that Plymouth did, um, those kids locked in. They knew what we were looking for. Um, And and I thought on the defensive end, our kids really made it tough on Plymouth. Um, I don't know that they scored more than eight or nine buckets in the ball game. Um, Where they really hurt us is, you know, we'd follow them in transition or we'd follow them on a drive to the hole. Um, in the second half, they eventually got you know, in the bonus double bonus, and we would foul them. And, and really, that's how they were scoring from the free throw line. But when we got them in a half-court setting and we got up into people and guarded them, they were struggling to to really score in a half-court.
5: Bodie Bender, my guest, head coach of the Mishawaka Cayman. They will face South Bend Riley tomorrow night in a sectional semifinal, probably around an 8-15 start Eastern time. We won a big Mishawaka crowd over there if you can't make it 96-1 the ton will have the play-by-play of that particular contest you got Brady Fisher back last week he missed about a month with a thumb injury how would you assess how he has played since his return from that injury
3: I thought you know I thought when he came back and you know getting him back in the St. Joe game was big I think more so for Brady um it looked like he was going a thousand miles an hour to start the game when he got into the game, but once he scored that first bucket or two, I think earlier there in the third quarter, he slowed down really, let the game come to him, and then I thought, you know, once he got into the game Tuesday night, Brady was kind of back to the old Brady, um, just kind of let things come to him and, and just playing basketball, and um, you know that was nice to see. So I, I think Brady is back, ready to play. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen really too many issues with that thumb too much. Uh, he still, still plays hard, still diving on the ground for, for loose balls, and which which still scares me a little bit, and still rebounding his butt off, which he did Tuesday night where I think he had 14 rebounds.
5: I'm sure when coaches look at the film of Mishawaka offensively, they see Jones, they see Johnson, they see Fisher. But, Coach, I think you have a really good secondary core of scores on this yep. team that has really helped you guys get to that 18-6 yep. and six record. Jackson Snyder, Maddox Yohi, Cooper Pritchett, those type of guys, all of a sudden you focus on the big three, and those guys can really hurt you.
3: Yeah, I, I think those the second core with Maddox and, and Coop and Jackson um, have really come along here of late um, and, and have really helped us and, and obviously have come on at the right time. Uh, going into the sectional, and and uh, you know Jackson hit a couple shots Tuesday night. Um, Cooper had some shots inside that he finished, which was nice to see. And that's going to have to continue for us uh, tomorrow night to beat a really good Riley team.
5: Mm, no doubt. Let's go back to December ninth at the cave. You faced South Bend Riley, and I mentioned it'd been a little while since Mission had beaten Riley, and the Cavemen won that particular ball game, sixty-two to fifty-seven. I remember. One thing about the game and watching the replay, I remember I was not at the game did a Notre Dame hockey, but you had some pretty good i'd say execution of plays in the final minute that really allowed you to win that game
0: yeah
3: i I think one that that stands out and going back and looking at that film the last few days um to refamiliarize myself with Riley a little bit um, I just remember an instance where. You know, Arthur drove the ball on the left side to the left elbow and jump stopped and found wide open Cooper inside for an N one opportunity. Um, I thought that was a big play at the time. Um, I believe it made it a two possession game, and I, I think that really helped uh, helped us really stretch the lead out a little bit there and, and sneak out a five point win um, in, in a really good basketball game uh, in December.
5: What will be important for your team? tomorrow night when you take on this wildcat team
3: well first and foremost for us offensively we've got to be strong and take care of the basketball um you know their quickness their athleticism they're going to try to put us in some uncomfortable situations um they're going to trap a little bit i'm sure of it um so we've got to first and foremost we've got to take care of the basketball and not give it to them not let them get out and transition and score um Secondly, we've got to be able to snap off passes. We can't throw something lazy so they can sneak into the passing lane and get a steal and get a run out. And then on top of that, um, you know, we've got to be patient a little bit on the offensive end and work them a little bit and, and, and make them play a little defense. Um, and I think if we do that, we will get good shots. Um, and hopefully we're knocking down shots tomorrow night and then continue to cross the board. I think that's something that, you know, with, with Cooper – And Brady, and even Art does a good job sometimes of of getting in there. Jackson Snyder does a good job of crashing boards. Um, We've got to continue to do that. I think that's been something that's really um, uh, put a lot of stress on defenses for most of the year. So those are things we're going to have to do tomorrow night, Um, you know, on the offensive end for us to be successful. Then on the defensive end, we just can't let them get downhill. Um, We're going to have to get back in transition. we can't let them drive the ball to the middle floor and get whatever they want. We're gonna to have to keep them out of the paint, which is which is a tall task against their athleticism. Yeah. It's, uh, we're just gonna to have to recognize no personnel.
5: Crashing the board shouldn't be a problem. I figured out this year we have a bunch of hard headed players on this Mishawaka team, so <laughs> they should be fine. Hey, quickly moving along, are you a big speech guy before these games? You got a little Norman Dale in you, a little shooter in you, or do you kind of keep it low key? Uh,
3: I'll try to build it up a little bit. Um, I think today going through scouting report, um, we tried to build it up a little bit. This is important. This is an important game. You're 32 minutes away from, um, you know, finding yourself in a title game. So um, we will continue to hit those keys tomorrow night before tip-off and and try to even build it up a little bit more and, and fire them up a little bit more so when they hit the floor, they're ready to, you know, run through a brick wall.
5: I know when I mentioned to Heck the other night about 1986, I could hear him just chewing on his pencil. He was just grinding his teeth on that pencil. Do you talk to the team at all about what's possible, that they could do this and do that? This hasn't been done in this long. I mean, they haven't been to a sectional championship, the program, since 2004. That's a long time ago. We we probably had a lot less gray hair back then.
3: Yeah, and I I don't know that a lot of our kids probably don't, some of them may not have been alive in 2004. I don't know. I mean, um, you know, so, no, we don't We don't really talk about that. You know, I, I'm, I'm just so – next game, we'll talk about the next yep. game, uh, which is Riley. And then when we get to the – if we get to the title game, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how we handle it. We'll talk about how we want to put our team in a success uh, – in, in positions to be successful. Um, but first and foremost, you know, I, I told him that – you know, I, I want you guys to do this for yourselves. Don't worry about doing this for me or the coaching staff, um, you know, with everything that they've been through this year with injuries and illnesses. And we've had to mix match, uh, you know, lineups throughout the year. We, I don't think that we've had a steady lineup for the whole year, you know, the same five guys starting. So um, I wanted, I want him.
5: And I think we lost coach. See, he was so passionate there, he blew up the phone lines. So I think he went bye-bye there. Coach, if you can still hear me, I appreciate the time. We'll go ahead and send you off and let you watch a little more video, but we lost you there. But Mishawaka is going to take on South Bend Riley tomorrow night over in Michigan City. Game one, Michigan City and LaPorte. Did I say Michigan City? Man, I'm all messed up. I'm all hyped up. It's at LaPorte. Game one, LaPorte against Michigan City at 6.30 Eastern time. Game two, Riley and Mishawaka about Eight fifteen. We'll come back in a moment. Six forty-five at WSBT.
6: After World War One, the American economy was booming and. Money,
0: money, money. Money, 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 money. Show me the money. We go with We go with
5: Six fifty at Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. Final segment for this Thursday. Darren Pritchett with you. Again, thanks to Mishawaka basketball coach, Bodie Bender, for joining us here in the last segment. Sports wagering talk right now. No picks on yesterday's program because we were only on the air for 90 minutes due to Notre Dame basketball, so nothing to recap. So let's go right into some picks for tonight's action. How about a couple of Big Ten games, a Missouri Valley game, and an NHL parlay? We start in the old Big Ten Conference, the Kohl Center in Madison. Having gone there for Notre Dame hockey, it's in a cool spot. The big college town portion of the campus with the restaurants, places where you get orange drinks. Not too far from the Kohl Center, within walking distance. It is a really cool little area. And the Badgers are hosting the Big Ten champion, Purdue Boilermakers, tonight at 9 o'clock. Boilermakers need a win scuffling a tad bit. Badgers need a win to boost their NCAA tournament hopes. This would do it, that's for sure. A win over a top-five team in Purdue. Purdue's got to get back on track, right? Maybe they were not as good as they were at the height of their season, but they're not this bad like we have seen the last couple of weeks. I wouldn't say bad, but just not playing their best. I'm going to ride the road favorite. Four points is a lot at Wisconsin, but I'm going to go Purdue minus four at Wisconsin. The other Big Ten game, I'll tell you right now. Someone that grew up in Illinois about an hour and a half from Champaign, still a fan of the team. I am so frustrated with this team. I'm not going to do anything rational in the next minute talking about this game. It just seems like Illinois has a bunch of players that are not locked in. Michael Mayer, the transfer from Baylor, who's been great the last month and a half, didn't practice all week until yesterday. Why? He had caffeine poisoning. How do you do that? He said after the team got back from Columbus where they got their butts kicked by Ohio State Sunday, he played video games and drank six Monster Energy drinks. Six. You just played a game earlier in the day. Shouldn't you be rehydrating water? Some people say Gatorade's not that effective. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, there's got to be something better than six monster energy drinks. My gosh, my hands would be unsteady for the next six weeks if I drank six monster energy drinks. Jalen Epps, their best point guard. He's got a concussion. He's not going to play. Don't even matter who they play tonight. Take the other team. I'm going Michigan plus four at Illinois, and if they win, then pie in my face. But I'm done with them. All right, Missouri Valley tonight. Murray State, the seven seed, taking on the ten seed Valparaiso. Unless Bryce Drew all of a sudden has more eligibility, I'm going with the Racers, one of the newcomers in the Valley. I'm going to take Murray State, lay the two and a half against Valpo. And finally, how about an NHL parlay to wrap up our Sizzler segment? Well, if you're going to do a parlay, a good place to start is to take the Boston Bruins on the money line. Boston has won seven in a row, and they are on pace to set NHL records for most wins in the regular season and most points. Tonight, the Bruins are at home to take on a pesky Buffalo Sabres team. If you take the Bruins on the money line, it's not great value at minus 285. So let's pair the Bruins with their division mates, the Florida Panthers. They're at home against the Nashville Predators. Predator fans are upset about a trade Nashville just made. Media not happy down there. So let's jump on the Panthers. We'll do a Bruins-Panthers NHL parlay. We get the two at plus 112. If it hits, you bet 10. You win 21 72. So again, we've got Michigan plus four, Purdue minus four, Murray State minus two and a half, and an NHL parlay of Bruins and Panthers. Budweiser's Weekday sports Bee brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the Family Inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Hunger is the story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future, and Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop for new beginnings, have happy endings. Sports Beat is back tomorrow from 5 until 7. Working on a special guest. Hopefully it works out. Tune in to find out if it's going to happen. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Not going to jinx it. Stand by. The Neil Ivey Coaches Show is coming up next. Notre Dame will take on NCC tomorrow at 2 o'clock in the quarterfinals of the ACC Tournament.